Hi, I'm Alicia. And I'm Kayla. And you're listening to True Crime Exposed. Where me and my mom will bring you a new case discussion every week. We also advocate for victims through interviews with family, experts, survivors, and more. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to part two of the 13 Turpin Children. So if you haven't already listened to part one, you're going to be super confused. Make sure you jump back one episode so that you can get the full story. This was a listener suggestion case, and we absolutely love when you guys reach out to us and tell us what you want to hear us cover. You can do that by emailing us at truecrimeexposed at gmail.com. We also welcome constructive criticism there on our email, and if you just want to chat, anything you want to say, like we love to hear from you. With that, are you ready for part two? Now, after pulling her oldest from school and refusing to send any of her kids to school from here on out, Louise would sometimes teach her children out of like the phonics books, but this was just once in a while. She would get sick of it and be like, you know what, I don't want to do this. Literally years would pass before another lesson was taught. So she would like randomly teach them a lesson here and there. Not real homeschooling. And that house that was foreclosed on was disgusting. When it was taken over by the bank and abandoned by the turnips, people discovered trash on the floors, feces smeared on the walls, and the smell inside was so horrendous some people couldn't even stand to enter the home. It's on July 27, 1999, that the Turpins have their seventh child, Janetta Betty Turpin. And right after this, the Turpins move into a new home in a rural area in Rio Vista, Texas. The neighbors and others in this town didn't even realize that the Turpins had children. They weren't going to school, and they weren't really let out of the confinement of their bedrooms, let alone the home. There was one neighbor girl that the children were actually allowed to play with, but the kids had told her they were not allowed to tell anyone their names, so she wasn't allowed to know what they were. And when that girl's mom starts asking the kids some questions, David and Louise cut off contact between their children and the neighbor girl very quickly. In November of 2000, Jordan Turpin, baby number eight, now is born and that is who calls 911 eventually and the family is getting into this super strange schedule where they're sleeping all day and staying awake all night david he was on a regular schedule because he had to work during the day but as for the kids and louise the couple preferred them to only be awake at night This made it easier for them to hide their kids from the rest of the world. It made them more hidden, only awake when everyone else was sleeping. Yes, I remember hearing that in the podcast that I listened to that they, you know, they could have more freedom at night without anybody seeing them. And so they were up all night and then slept all day. And so no kids were running around during the day coming and going or anything. And yeah, they could so actually like, go no like play outside or like open, like pull up the blinds or whatever at night. But yes, 
they yeah. had like slightly more freedom within their home <laughs> at the nighttime because then neighbors couldn't hear kids inside. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. So by 2001, Joy Turpin was four years old and the family dog bites her in the face. So she gets this really deep wound. But David and Luis didn't want their children to be assessed at a hospital or by the police. So they actually don't get Joy any help until 24 hours later when it's clear this isn't going to heal up on its own. And David calls 911. Joy is then taken to the emergency room, and the hospital staff can tell it's been some time since the little girl was bitten. So they're like side-eyeing David and Luis, and they report the incident to the sheriff's office. But that's where it dies out. There's no investigation into it, and it was soon forgotten. A huge missed opportunity to discover this abuse. Mm -hmm. And by 2003... Two more babies had been brought into the family, totaling 10 children for David and Louise. And a year later, the entire family moves into a double wide that David had brought onto the property there in Texas. So they had this farmhouse that they were living in on that property, but it had become so rotten and so dirty inside, the family could no longer live in it. So instead of like cleaning it, he decided it would be a better idea to just buy this double-wide trailer, run a water line to it, and move everyone in. So their house is unlivable, and he's like, ugh, let's just move. Same property, they just leave the farmhouse to be disgusting next to the double-wide that's now on the property. So that's where all the whole family lives? Right now, mm -hmm, in 2003, they're living in this double-wide next to the farmhouse they just destroyed because they never took care of it. You're just going to buy a whole new trailer to move into because your house got too gross, but like... Clean it up. Yeah, are you going <laughs> to clean this next one or are you just going to have to move out of that? I don't know. Well, actually, I do know. And what they do <laughs> they is... They don't clean it. <laughs> so stupid. It is so crazy and like so neglectful. You'll see. So... This is when Jolinda Turpin is born, and that's the couple's 11th child. And by 2006, Julissa Turpin, their 12th child, is born. So they made it. In 17 years, the couple had the 12 children they had been planning to have since Louise was only 12 years old when she told her grandma about their destiny. Are those names Jolinda and Julissa from the Bible? <laughs> They must be. I don't. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Well, they just kept or having more kids, so they it just up. they probably they had sound to just similar. keep looking. <laughs> they had to just keep looking deeper and deeper and deeper. Find a random J name in there. Joe Linda. They're like, and where jo is Julissa? Jolinda and Julissa. Wow. But the couple doesn't stop at twelve children because they have a thirteenth and thirteenth and final child i'm not sure why they wanted so many kids that they refused to take care of i don't know if they got pleasure out of the abuse or just because like from a young age they were like we're going to have 12 so they made it happen even though they realized they hated taking care of kids i don't know but if any of the turpin children misbehaved there was a cage waiting for them that david had made this cage had two areas so that multiple children could be imprisoned at a time. It was small and there was a small opening at the bottom where food would be slid under. Because these children were left in cages for days at a time. 
And when some of the older children start learning how to lift the cage from the gap and escape, David bought a dog kennel along with a padlock. It was a three by three space and they didn't care how big their children were. They would force them to be imprisoned in this kennel for anything they deemed an offense. I had heard on that podcast that they even put their teenage son who was like almost six foot into this kennel and locked him in here for a few days. A three by three dog kennel. That is just, (laughs) doesn't this story just blow your mind? Can you imagine yeah, and it's just you like, would have been locked in a cage your whole teenage years? Because <laughs> I was like, I know they weren't even like, they are in like trouble for misbehaving. They're not even misbehaving. They're probably great kids because they're freaking terrified of their parents. Yeah, the two were chained up because they were hungry. They snuck some food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before she calls. Mm. I know. So it's, it is crazy. I don't know who they think they are, but. They are something else. So at one point, David and Louise decide, you know, they're sick of living with all their kids. The houses keep getting so dirty and they have to listen to the kids take care of themselves. So they're like, you know what we should do? Let's move out and leave our kids here. And that's exactly what they do. They get an apartment 40 minutes away from the trailer home and they take their two youngest kids and they move into this apartment for four years. And the kids stayed? Years. Yes. They were just like scared. You would think the kids would be like, I'm leaving. I'm breaking out of here. Mom and dad aren't here. I know. They left their two oldest children in charge and that they left 11 of their kids behind to fend for themselves now at this point let's see if this is i don't i don't know exactly what year this is but it's after 2006 i don't know how old their oldest would have been i need to look she was in her 20s right yeah so like they left them with their adult children but they never taught their adult children oh anything about life that's true yeah so so it's they're interesting there with their- because I listened to the podcast and their voices sounded so like soft spoken and just so young. Uh-huh. I had to go look them up. Like I, I wanted to see what they looked like. And they are sweet. Yeah. They're little. Yes, they're little. They're, and their voices, I think, sound so young because they didn't learn great communication skills or anything until they were older yeah yeah so you know they are there with adult children but these adult children still feel like they're property of their parents because they're so terrified and they've never been taught how to leave so for four years you know they're taking care of the rest of the kids while David and Luis live 40 minutes away And David would just come by once in a while, like every three days to drop off a little food. Like don't have that many kids. I just think they get off on the abuse because they have the means to take care of their kids. Yeah, they do. He makes good money. Like they must like it. When they are living 40 minutes away, Luis never once comes by to visit her kids. Not one time. David came to drop off food and Luis never comes. So, like, what is happening? How does this happen? How does it go unnoticed? I mean, the trailer home is in a rural area in Texas, but, like, what in the world? Yeah, it's mind-blowing. It really is. Like, I do not get it. 
So regardless of their lack of involvement with their own kids, they still had that complete control over them. They're terrified of David and Louise, so they don't leave the home or property, like I said earlier, and they still didn't try to tell anyone. They still don't take baths because their parents only allowed them to bathe that one time a year, and they were only allowed to wash up to their elbows. Now, David and Louise had put those two oldest children in charge of not only watching over the kids, but also making sure they follow the rules. And Jennifer, she actually does kind of try to go out once. So she ends up going outside and running into the neighbor, and she's like, hey, do you know how I could get a job? Like, I don't know how to get a job. And this neighbor's like, yeah, I can take you to town and like help you get a job. So they go off, they start job searching, but they spend the whole day trying to apply at different locations and there's no luck because Jennifer can't present an ID. She can't present a birth certificate. She doesn't know her social security number. She has nothing, no means to get a job. Even though her parents don't live there, she cannot leave. Like she's stuck there. Yeah, it's like that mind control, like when predators, Mm -hmm. you know, or people that get kidnapped and they have a chance to run away, they don't. Or like Elizabeth Smart. And they're so scared. And and the police ask, are you Elizabeth Smart? And she's like, no. No. And he goes off with her. Yeah. Yeah. No, that it is crazy because they seriously get so scared. And I think like all of us who haven't been in that position just literally could not understand yeah so it's hard for me to like wrap my mind around it's probably hard for people to believe but you just like you've never been through that right I have heard with like polygamous groups like we have a lot here in Utah Mm -hmm. so a lot of these (laughs) kids are born at home and stuff and so they never really get a birth certificate and then it's hard for them yeah. to get like an ID of some sort. And so it's super hard for them to leave that group, those groups, even if they want to. I'm always like, why don't they just leave? Like, why would they stay in that? But if you think about it, they don't have a lot of the means to do that. To leave. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't know that much about a different way of life. So they're just like, no, I, I don't know. It's super hard in to get a job without any type of id or birth certificate or social security number yeah exactly it's sad it is you just get stuck in this like predicament because i mean i just said earlier like what they were alone for four years why didn't they leave i know but it's like (laughs) it's too hard then they don't know what to do they probably don't even know how old they are like did they celebrate birthdays i doubt it i know it's it's just wild so 2008 comes around and David and Louise decide they're kind of over the whole Pentecostal Christian church thing. And instead, they want to look into a couple other religions, which were witchcraft and snake handling. Oh, the only thing I could think of with snake handling is that case of the guy who was ironically a Pentecostal minister whose wife accused him of trying to murder her using his snakes. Have you heard of that? Like, he preached with these snakes, and he was, like, a snake handler in a church. And then his wife ends up saying, like, he was making the snakes bite her over and over, and he was trying to kill her and all this stuff. Dang. There's actually a documentary on it. I think it's called Alabama Snake. How do people get so weird? I, well, <laughs> if you're in a snake handling church, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I'm talking about like, like murdering your wife with a snake. Yeah, That's like pr- not like normal. preaching with it and like using it to like bite. But then, if I remember right, I re- I listened to it on a podcast. Like I heard the documentary recounted. I didn't watch it, but I swear they like thought she was lying. I don't know. I'd have to watch it, but it's called Alabama Snake. Ugh. Okay. But Luis, she like gets really into this. She's doing the whole snake handling stuff. She's regularly attending a church that practices this. And she loves snakes so much that she even started eating rattlesnake meat. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Sounds gross, but maybe it's not. Eating chickens and stuff is gross too. But I hate reptiles. I know. I struggle with any meat that's not like the norm. Even though, like, different meat is different norms in different places. But any meat I'm not used to, it's like, no thank Uh, you. So I I would not be trying the rattlesnake meat. Anyway, they're getting into these different ways of life. They're letting go of their previous religious beliefs. And they decide they also want to dabble into something they had never tried before. Swinging. Oh, my word. Just gets so much more interesting as it goes. I know. So they start making these different trips out to different areas like Las Vegas, which Vegas is perfect for them because they love to gamble. Remember, Luis has quite the gambling habit. Oh, yeah. And they went to Vegas all the time, just spending money like nobody's business. David is buying a brand new car every year. They buy expensive trinkets and toys, which, again, is just in the home the kids are never allowed to touch any of their things and they're just spending stupid money that they literally do not have because they're super in debt during the same time they're scoping out people for these little sexcapades and it seems that they did find people to join them at least one so john with the secret sits podcast said that louise and david met a man in alabama Luis goes up to a room with a man and a video camera to record it for David to watch later because David is going to wait in the car. Which, like, whatever. I'm not into it. Not my thing if you're, like, consenting adults. But I just think their relationship is so weird and toxic. And, like, she was groomed into it. She's probably groomed into doing whatever he wants Mm -hmm. sexually because... She was groomed into the whole relationship. It's just like icky. He watched her niece shower. Her sister. Her Her, little sister. Her sister. Yeah. His. His, Yeah. His his, little sister-in-law. Ew. Ew. By April of 2010, David has lost his job and the couple is served with eviction papers for their home away from home. You know, the one the parents are living in at this time while their kids are living on the property that has the rundown farmhouse. So they got eviction for they those? got evicted from that yeah from that house there i don't know if they're just renting it must be so they get evicted from there but then their property is also being foreclosed on so farmhouse trailer house that whole property being foreclosed on other house they lived in 40 minutes away they're getting evicted so they're gonna and file David, bankruptcy again yep <laughs> so David, what he should do in this extreme time of debt is going to buy one more brand new car. It's a Mustang, so he picks that up and then he heads out to the farmhouse property. They pack their kids up and 
any of their stuff that isn't ravaged and filth, and they move to California where they move into a five-bedroom, three-bathroom house. And David still doesn't have a job at this time. They're being paid almost $600 each month from mineral rights they had from their property in Texas, but they don't own that property in Texas anymore. It's just that the company paying them doesn't know that. So David and Luis milk this money as long as they can until the company realizes nine months later that this property is not theirs anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's like all the income they're getting. $600 a month with 13 kids. Yeah. Like you're not going to do well. What happened to his engineering? He doesn't have a job at this point. He, He lost his job there in Texas they their house is foreclosed on they moved to california he has no job yet i wonder why he lost his job i don't know if it just ended if he got laid off if he got fired i don't know and by this time we know the children are not being educated louise wasn't interested there were years between lessons and it's sad because like we were talking about when you hear them talk in the documentary like giving their impact statements or their 911 call you can tell by the way they speak that they learned their communication later on in life. You know, you can tell that they were stunted in that way. Not that they, like, they don't, I don't know, they just sound young. Yeah. Like you said, like, and they have, they do say some things just, like, slightly differently than you would. Or, you know, and it's just because they were never taught the proper way to speak or anything. Anyway... They move out to California and they don't want any welfare checks on their kids for truancy since they would not be attending school. And David applies to open a school called the City Day School and he names himself as the principal. This paperwork is filled out stating that this school teaches eight children from second grade to 11th grade. And with this, the state can't send truancy officers to check on the kids because it means they are officially being homeschooled. However, there is this chance that the fire marshal could be sent for an inspection of the City Day School. But an opportunity was missed because no one ever comes for an inspection. So they are running this school Mm -hmm. legally so no one has to check that they are actually homeschooling their kids, which is wild to me. That he could just file paperwork and be like, we're teaching these kids, but none of the kids have to like take a state evaluation each year to make sure they're like on par to make sure they're really being taught like if you're gonna homeschool your kids I feel like someone has to keep you accountable still just like they keep the schools and the teachers accountable right I guess you should still have to do some state testing yeah really weird And the next eight years living in California are the years leading up to Jordan's escape and cry for help. Unfortunately, David and Louise escalate in their poor treatment of their kids through these years. I mean, now they're actually living with their kids since in Texas they had spent the last four years on their own, 40 minutes away from their kids. And the Turpin kids in California start spending 20 hours each day in their rooms. And they were only given one meal each day. Originally, they were allowed two meals per day, but the kids were asleep too much that the parents decided one meal was sufficient. They weren't awake enough time to validate a second meal. 
and they were probably asleep so much because A, they're malnutritioned and have no energy, and then B, they're locked in their rooms with nothing to do, so they're super bored. And each room has a few different bunk beds and random mattresses on the floor since there's five bedrooms but 13 kids. So they're just locked in these shared rooms together, and it's during these years that the parents add the chains to the kids' bunk beds to chain up any of the children that were misbehaving. Although who knows what their definition of misbehaving is because they were just cruel and they would chain their kids up over the smallest inconvenience. They had gone as far as hogtying their children, but when one of their sons chewed through the ropes and escaped, the couple decided there was no option besides the chains. And the Turpin kids are hit, they're thrown around, they're kicked, they're screamed at, they didn't attend school, they don't go to the doctor's office, they don't really step out of the house. They are literally prisoners of David and Louise. Are they hit and and all that stuff by their dad or by their mom or by both? I mean, when Elizabeth lived with them, she said that they were, that Louise would decide the punishment and David would like do the punishment but when jennifer is talking to abc she says like if i would ask my mom a question i didn't know if i was like gonna get screamed at or like thrown across the room or you know Mm -hmm. or if she was gonna be nice and answer my question so i'm assuming both of them were probably abusive in all the ways yeah emotionally physically well, All and Luis knew what was going on, even if she didn't physically Yeah, so do regardless, it. yeah, exactly. And then soon, social media is a thing. And Luis is like, wait, I think I can make a name for us. If I can make us look presentable and great on social media, then I bet someone will pick us up for a reality TV show. I mean, come on, we've got 13 children. We can be the next Kate plus eight. And it's like, really, lady, you are abusing and neglecting your kids so badly that you can't even allow them into public or let people know that you have kids in fear of being caught, but you want to try and get a TV show like she's an idiot. But now Luis and David will take their kids out once in a blue moon. And Luis would go back to her ways when she had only young children by forcing them to dress the exact same way and not like the same shirt like sisters twinsies so cute it was like same shoes same tights same dresses same bows same hairstyles everything for example all the boys were forced to have the same awful haircut as their dad which is so bad think like justin bieber haircut length but more like stick straight bowl cut blunt edges just above the eyebrows down around the ears and onto the neckline well it's like justin bieber when his hair was long no like i said justin bieber length oh not the style Mm. yeah the style is what i described the stick straight the bowl cut all of that and it's just it had to have been so creepy as these 13 identically matching children walked around in a completely straight line led by their dad and then controlled from behind by their mom. Like that had to have looked so weird in public. They didn't want all this attention brought on them, but it's like, A, you've got 13 kids, so people are going to look because us, when we we went out on vacations and we had, what, with us, 
six girls and two boys, so eight kids and two adults, so ten people, and everyone stared at us. Oh, yeah. On vacation. Yeah. It was embarrassing. Remember when we got on the subway in um, no. Washington, D.C.? <laughs> I wasn't there. I wasn't invited on that oh, trip. Oh, yeah. We missed you. <laughs> Anyways, we... They didn't invite me because I was naughty. Yeah. We didn't. <laughs> I had to stay with my dad. Didn't want to deal with her attitude. <laughs> But we would get on, so we were even minus one kid. We got on the subway, oh and gosh. Shannon would, like, count everybody. And it was so embarrassing. <laughs> and I was like, do not count the kids. Like, everyone's staring he's at like, us. He's like, I have to make sure they're here. Yeah, and he's like, I got to make sure. I'm like, don't do it. Just don't do it. You're like, because just everyone's I am. staring. Just I am and say their names and count on your fingers or something. <laughs> yeah, he like pointed. That is it so was like funny. one, two, three. Everyone's sitting there staring. I at can us, see like, him just doing it, uh, just oblivious to the world around him. Yes. Uh, it would be hard in a big city with that many kids. I would be stressed. I out. know. We never get that much credit for managing a ton of children. All those kids. <laughs> yeah. It actually would be so it was hard. hard. I have enough of a hard time taking my two kids out to the grocery store. So I'll give you credit now. Can you imagine <laughs> like, oh, let's all. I mean, the vacations were what were hard. Like, obviously, when we were home, we didn't take all of you shopping. Well, we did go school shopping. Right. But. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. And it's not like everyone was there all the time because some of them lived with their mom and stuff. And so I feel like it was mostly vacation where we were all together. Everyone was together. Yep. Yeah. That would be crazy. But I did I not make you guys dress the same and I did not make you all walk in a straight line. Yeah. Or have the same haircut. So after months of being unemployed, David does eventually get a new job there in California as a computer engineer, and he was going to be making close to $150,000 a year. And that's a good amount of money. And I get with 13 kids, it might not be quite enough to be totally comfortable, but there is zero reason David and Luis had neglected kids because it's not like they didn't have the means to take care of their kids. They were choosing not to. They're not like super poor. He's not living their whole life unemployed. It's not like they're struggling like, oh, like our kids, we accidentally neglected them because we had too much and couldn't provide like they could provide, they just didn't feel like it. And they would do random things where they would spend money with their kids. Because again, they're trying to keep up these appearances. So not only, well, hold on. And they would do random things where they'd spend money with their kids because again, they're trying to keep up appearances, not only on social media, but also to their family. So when David's brother wants to take his family to a Disneyland vacation in California, He's like, hey, David, you live out here like you could bring your family to Disneyland with us and the cousins can spend some time together. So the Turpin family heads out for Disney, which would be super expensive. Some people might see that and be like, yeah, they did care for their kids. They wanted to take them to Disney for a good time. They sacrificed all this money to take them there. But no, I think they simply took the kids to impress David's brother and literally for a good photo op. As for the money, spending all the money, they'd probably just pull it out all on credit cards and never pay for it because they do, in fact, file bankruptcy again for a third time right after the trip. Yeah. I, so I'm sure they didn't I truly pay I knew that was for coming. Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after Literally. the Mustang. 
it yeah bankruptcy so many times like at this point i think they had to take like some financial classes and whatnot and they purposely just go into debt to get what they want like i said with the christmas thing where they like bought a bunch of gifts and then they filed bankruptcy that first time elizabeth uh Louise's sister she had actually been in a phone conversation because they had like made amends by that point and Louise told her that they were basically buying a bunch of things they'd never have to pay for and when Elizabeth was like it sounds kind of like you're stealing Louise got all pissed off and hung up so <laughs> they literally are doing this bankruptcy thing on purpose which is crazy but they Louise, she posts all the cute matching photos of their Disneyland trip to social media and they are bombarded with the sweetest comments like, how do you guys do it? You're amazing. You're a super mom. Little did all the commenters know the couple was in fact not doing it. They were awful parents who cared about nothing but themselves. Now, they also took their kids to Las Vegas for that Elvis-themed vow renewal you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Everyone's probably seen it if you know the case. And it's where all the kids are dressed the same, of course, because they're out in public. Their mom's in a wedding dress. Their dad is in a tux. They're all awkwardly dancing and trying to pretend like they were this happy and perfect family. But this wasn't David and Louise's first vow renewal. They had done one in Vegas at that exact same Elvis Chapel years earlier by themselves. But now they needed a second one, most likely for another good photo op in their chase for fame for having this large family. Little did Luis and David know that in the years coming, their daughter Jordan would hand them their claim to fame when she saves herself and her siblings to expose her parents for what they really were. It wasn't their idea of fame to be infamous, but, you know, karma. Yeah. And all this background brings us back to 7.23 a.m. on that day, January 14th, 2018. Police had knocked on the Turpin's door. Remember, they were shocked and asking if they had a warrant, but police pushed by and head on in. As they walk inside, they are met with a foul odor from trash laying in piles all around the floor. It's hot inside, which makes the smell of mold and feces even stronger. Among the trash were all these unopened toys that Luis was obsessed with buying. The walls are gray and brown. Literally, poop is smeared on the walls and into the carpets. Some police are talking to the parents to distract them while the others search. They're like pooping their own pants knowing that they're about to go down david and louise they're trying to play it cool but you can tell they're just like we are screwed mm -hmm. and i'm so happy for whatever they were feeling in this moment but you know they're they're trying to be like really normal and like laughing like oh yeah we have 13 kids like haha <laughs> and while these conversations are going police make it to a bedroom they walk in to find two bunk beds and a mattress on the floor. Two little girls are limp, they're quiet, and they're covered in bruises. They're also dirty, and the police check on them to find bruised wrists. But the chains are gone. That's what David and Louise took two whole minutes to answer for. They were scrambling around trying to get the chains undone on their kids. And the police officer whispers to the girls, We are here to help you. One child is sitting in a crib and just smiling at the police as they search. So they still have young kids at this point. 
More of their children are discovered in a second bedroom. It's filled with dirt, feces, trash, and mold, but no chains. The house is a horrifying mess and the kids are clearly neglected, but they needed to find proof of those chains. And then one officer sees it. A third bedroom blocked by the boxes towards the front of the house. Police go in and they find a boy with chains shackling his wrists and ankles to his bed. And he has been chained up like this for weeks. It's in that closet that more chains are discovered and Jordan's story comes together for the deputies. Immediately after finding the chains, David and Luis are put into handcuffs themselves and arrested. As they're led out of the home, police officers have to search through the trash-hoarded bedroom of the parents to find the key that would unlock the boy from his bed. And all 13 kids are taken to the hospital. These kids were physically, emotionally, and mentally abused. Upon entrance, the hospital staff knows immediately that these kids were starving and dehydrated. Doctors, nurses, and staff all cry while they see what the kids have been through. They were emaciated to the point that they had a hard time walking. Their growth was stunted, which resulted in them looking so young and so tiny. Many of them had heart heart conditions from being so malnutritioned. Mm -hmm. And one of their teenagers has an arm that remained the size of a four-month-old baby's. Now, could that just be from like a birth defect or could that come from abuse like his arm like maybe breaking when he was four months or like I would think that would come from when he was born but like a birth defect yeah but they mention it so I don't know wow yeah he just has a little arm just an arm does he have a hand well I think he has a hand and stuff it just said like one of his arms was the size of a four-month-old baby. Oh, like the width or just the length? I think like the whole thing. Like just looked like a baby arm. I don't know. Baby arm? Or maybe it just like didn't grow a lot. I don't know. Yeah, you can... Little babies can get a thing called like amniotic band syndrome where like... Oh. Some of the um, like amniotic fluid bands like wrap around the arm or something and it won't develop. It won't mm. grow. So maybe it's something like, like that. Past that, that's what it makes me think of. But like, yeah. Usually, it's like if it's above the hand, they 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 don't develop a great hand, or they have like finger deformities and stuff. So, oh. huh. well, the documentary didn't go into grave detail on that, but they the kids all their communication also ties the abuse of their bodies kind of together like as they're speaking to the hospital staff the way they're communicating kind of just brings the whole story together their speech was completely different than any of the staff had heard before due to their lack of socialization and the extreme isolation they lived in for so many years jennifer the oldest daughter was 29 years old at the time she was saved multiple other turpin kids were in their 20s as well Prosecutors charged the Turpin couple with 12 counts of torture, 7 counts of abuse of a dependent adult, 6 counts of child abuse, and 12 counts of false imprisonment. So that makes me think 7 of their kids were adults and 6 were children at the time they're caught. Mm -hmm. So 7 adult kids that they are abusing into being so afraid they've never left, they don't know how to leave, 
And then they still have six children under age. So, and then the 12 counts of false imprisonment. So four days after the kids are saved, both David and Louise Turpin are brought to court. This time chains are around their wrists and ankles. Louise's attorney says that she's been seen by a psychiatrist and is now diagnosed with histrionic personality disorder, which is narcissism that is super extreme. And he wants the case dismissed, but it doesn't work. And as for David, he just refuses to ever talk to investigators. Ultimately, they both plead guilty and they cry through letters that are sent to them from their children saying that they are forgiven. But their oldest daughter, well, some of their children, I think just some of their children said, like, we forgive you. Some of them did not. And their oldest daughter, Jennifer, and oldest son make impact statements, telling their parents that they are strong, that they are taking their life back, and that they persevere regardless of the many years stolen from them. David cries through his own statement, saying that he loves his children and believes they love him, which, like... It's just like, really, David, why did you have to add that? Like, just say you love your kids. You don't have to say, oh, I believe my kids really love me. I know. It's so weird. It is. And then, you know, he goes on explaining that he wants to reconnect with his children one day. And then Louise also bothers me in her statement because she's also crying through it, saying she doesn't want her kids to be sad or depressed because of all of this. (laughs) And... She wants them to know mom and dad are going to be okay. Like, in prison? They don't care <laughs> that you're going to be okay. Maybe some of them do, but they shouldn't. Not that, oh. you know. I, it'd be hard because it is their mom and dad. It's their only mom and dad in life they've ever known. But, like, mom, we just want you to know mom and dad are going to be okay. It's mm. like, yep, I hope you are. You'll literally be treated better in prison than you treated us for our entire life. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll be okay. I was just like, really? Like both of their statements are like so about themselves. Yeah. Like narcissists. Yes. They're crying and they like love their kids and they miss their kids is what they're saying. But then it's like ties back to them. My kids love me and we're going to be okay. It's just weird. It is. And regardless of their tears jennifer and jordan tell abc that they somewhat feel bad for them when they do see them like that but then they remember that their parents are great manipulators and that they are not good people david and louise are both sentenced to life in prison and that's the story of the 13 turpin children who are brutally abused and neglected by david and louise and what's really sad is after They, you know, they go to prison and the state is giving, you know, giving them money and giving them help and like they need resources. Some of their kids have to go into foster care. Well, at the end of the ABC documentary on 2020, it goes into detail about how the state is not releasing their money to them. Mm -hmm. The adults did have a person who was helping care for them that would not help them when they would ask how can I go get a job? She would refuse. And I guess ABC like chased her down and like try to get a hold of her. But she just like ran off, drove off. She would not talk to them. And then they also said that one of the foster homes that four of the children were living in, those people got arrested for child abuse. Oh my So they gosh. went from this home to another foster home and 
you know, the person who was charged says that he denies all the claims, but you know, these are foster parents and then they're, they are arrested for abuse. So it's just so sad to me that they were just taken from one bad situation to another. They say now that they are in a foster home where they're happier is what their siblings say. And they often try to get together and they feel really comfortable together. But I just thought that was so sad that they're not really being taken care of. They're not releasing their money. They're really not having the resources. They were saying that some of the kids live in some of the most rundown neighborhoods. Yeah, it's like it didn't get too much better for them. Yeah, because they're just trying to navigate this life that they have no background for. They're not high school educated. They don't have, you know, they didn't graduate. They don't. It's just, it's so sad. And one of the guys had said something like, if we can't take care of the Turpin children, what children can we take care of? Like, if we're not making sure these kids who have suffered probably the worst abuse he had seen in his career, he's like, then how do we, like, our system obviously doesn't work because if these kids aren't taken care of, no kids can be taken care of. Yeah, that did make me mad that California did do that. I know. There's California. No excuse for Get that. it together. No. Yeah. It, Get taking care of these kids. Yeah, give them their money. Help them out. Get them. Help them like, become independent. Housing. Help them with teach. education. I know. You might have like to you, spend some resources on them. And I think a lot of the money that's supposed to be given to them was donated money for them. Yeah. And they're not releasing it. So it's super messed up situation that they're in. Um, I encourage people to go watch that documentary, at least the end of it, and see kind of like all the details around that. But on a happier note, Jordan was able to reconnect with that deputy who um, had helped her and was like really caring with her. So she sees him again and she was just really grateful for his help. She felt like he was meant to be the police officer that helped her out that night. And her and Jennifer, you know, say they're happy when they see their siblings. They say they're taking their life back. And Jennifer said she doesn't want the Turpin name or her name, Jennifer Turpin, to be just like solely associated with sadness and like, oh, I feel so bad for her, which of course you feel bad for her and the siblings in the times that they were going through this. But she just wants people to know that they are doing good and they're strong and Like, they're brave and, you know, you don't have to feel bad for them anymore. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kayla Waters. I research, write, host, and edit all these episodes. My mom, Alicia Jenkins, is our co-host, and my daughter, Charlie Waters, is our palate cleanser giver. Our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at Music. Please check us out on all social media platforms and give us a like and a follow and share our posts and make sure to share our podcast with, you know, like 10 of your friends. Let them know that it's your fave and that they should definitely be listening. Hi, I'm Charlie Butters and I'm going to be giving you a palate cleanser. This palate cleanser is about eating healthy. My mom has been obsessed, obsessed with learning about health. She follows a girl on Instagram called Glucose Goddess.
and she says there's a correct order to eat your food. First, start with your veggies, then eat your proteins and fats. Last, you can eat your eat your starches like pasta, rice, and sugar. This will give you a smaller glucose spike. That means less cravings and reduced inflammation. You'll have a better mood and more energy. Bye. Have a great day. Okay, everyone, if you go to www.hopeforchildrenfoundation.org, you're going to find the Hope for Children Foundation, which is supported in California. The board of directors believe California is an important state to our nation, as every state has an important role in America. Hope for Children Foundation board of directors believe finding support for those affected by abuse is necessary in California. Here is the information where victims and or their families of all races, age, economic standing, religion, marital status, national origin, disability, pregnancy, medical conditions, sexual orientation, sex, may obtain information to find assistance and can work at establishing an abuse-free life. So definitely make sure to visit this website, check them out. You can see how you can donate, you can see about their toy drives, their services, and you can get support. If you want to become a sponsor, visit that website. And like I always say, please think about supporting these organizations I tell you about so that we can help fight crime.